My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? While navigating the natural realm, our timeless companions guide our path, our mineral allies who texture the landscape and bleed their sacred energetic contents like molasses seeping from the stone. With every flush of rain, every tide and every bending of the river, stones are the bones, dirt the flesh, water the blood of Gaia, and the ever-expanding canvas of creative expressive life keeps on growing. Creation in art is the psychic unfolding of the personality which is rooted in the nothing. Its effect is a deepening of the personal dimensions of the soul. And here to reflect on these concepts and many more is artist Rachel Wolf here with me, Mystic Mark, on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode with Rachel Wolf. So obviously water is way more complicated than it seems. There's all different kinds of water and then the mineralization of water. And so water, obviously, we're made of, of a lot. And I have kind of always kind of conceived of, you know, atmosphere as water. So we're, you know, under the sea, on the land, we're still under some type of water all the time. And that's kind of my creative, I guess, artist's imagination about water, too. And so it's layers or levels of density. And yeah, water, it can do a lot of things because also we tell it to. You know, there's spring sources, there's rain sources, there's, there's a lot of manipulation human beings can do with water itself. When I made these, it took about a year and a half, I think. I just wanted to get to know the water. I thought, that kind of sounds like my family thinks I'm crazy. Can the water talk to me? You know, can I learn how to share its message?
my name is Rachel Wolf, and I was born in Illinois, northern Illinois. And I've been working on various projects, including the Cookie Jar, which is a weekly newsletter of thoughts that go into artwork that I make. So I've been developing pretty big projects that I look forward to launching within the next year or two. And in the mean, meanwhile, freelance and make art projects, which the art farm in Iowa, which is a neighboring state, is going to feature several. And that's really been an exciting collaboration with a collector, and he's making this place for art to become accessible to you know, people in places that have been migrating now because the kind of epicenters of culture and art are shifting since everything has been changing. Wow. Yeah. An art farm. So you're going to have some of your work installed there. Can you tell us mm -hmm. anything about this big project you're working on? <laughs> sure. Well, I'm one of several artists featured and it's going to open in 2023. It's Steve Hansen is the lead on it. And he asked me if I would like to join. And I thought, of course. I mean, my first art, you know, my, to me, my first art project, my true one was, it's called the Fields Project in Oregon, Illinois. And that was collaborative, of course. A group of artists came together. We made a bunch of sketches and we, you know, we carved an aerial illustration aerial view illustration into the field you know a bit like, like crop circles right except we didn't make that type of design and so it's really nice to kind of come back to the roots in a way yeah They're always yeah. there <laughs> you know i just learned the the word for that type of art that you just described yeah what did you learn it was called well, when it's made out of stone, like the Nazca lines, they're called entaglios. Entaglios, okay. Yeah, they're, that word just means any anthropomorphic structure that's meant to be uh -huh. seen from above or the sky. Okay, well, thank, <laughs> after 23 years of doing art and cultural research, I learned something new every day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I only learned it recently. We, we've we been researching, you know, specific places in the United States episode by episode on another podcast I do. And uh -huh. in California, there's a what looks like a Nazca line of a human being. It's uh -huh. called the Blythe Antaglio. The Blythe Antaglio. Yeah. I'm going to have to visit that because that's where I'm. That's my American base has been for a while, since, well, since 2012. I left the Midwest and I went on a voyage, but I haven't been there. The Blythe and Taglios. Okay. <laughs> yeah, add it to the I'll, list. I'll, it's going on and the list grows, you know, especially in the last few years. It's been, it's been for me, great in terms of creating because, you know, I can't go do other things. So, right. but it's been, you know, a little... Even I, which I guess I'm, I, sometimes I'll call myself a bit of a wimp and then other times I guess I'm, well, I'm really not that afraid because creating is, you always have to face that doubt and fear and all that. Mm. And, but I guess it's, now I'm at a point where it's like, okay, need to connect with people. And so it's really interesting that 
this art farm came up and it should be really fun because it's, you know, there's Marfa, there's a few destination art places around the States, but nothing really for the Midwest. And, you know, there's tons of people here. It's like, <laughs> you know, there's all, Chicago is the third city and all these kind of, you know, chip on the shoulder type attitudes about the Midwest. So it's really nice to you know, bring some awareness to the heartland in a way. Mm. Yeah, it is funny. L.A., New York, Chicago, right? That's the chip, huh? I, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's uncanny you mentioned Marfa because I just had a guest on two days ago who's from Marfa. <laughs> it's really strange. Wait, from Marfa? Are people from Marfa? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I guess. I think she's lived in Texas her whole life. I don't know if she settled wow. in, into Marfa until only recently. But yeah, that's interesting that of all the places you mentioned, you mentioned the one that my past <laughs> guest was just in. Well, I, I'm looking at your, your art on your website and the link will be in the description for everybody. But I know that there's a sort of unconventional approach that you might have. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I am sort of seeing a pattern and I'm wondering mm -hmm. if you can elaborate on your use of magnetism when making art, or at least how magnetism influences your art. Right. Well, it, I would say it took me a, about a decade or something to realize what I was interested in, actually. It was like, you know, just making a lot of work. And I was, it was rooted in ontological curiosities, consciousness curiosities, and then, you know, what what's really going on, you know, kind of the big questions that usually physicists or geneticists or other fields are generally working on. And, you know, I'm not any of those myself. I'm just picking up on things because I'm, oh, here's a car coming, actually. Sorry about that. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> this is real, re real life. You know, kind of these, because my life was really serendipitous. I felt that, you know, kind of the, the best ideas or the most interesting things were things that were unplanned. And so, and then I would follow that to its end in a way. And that, that would result in the artwork and that would take a long time. You know, I'd think about something for four or five years and kind of, you know, meditate on it, research on it. Is it worth making? Should I do it? And so that's why I've also had many different kinds of projects too, because there would be something kind of simmering in the background I'd be working on this other thing. And then, yeah, but they're somehow all related to this magnetism because of this interest in how things come into being, mm -hmm. which I guess is a pretty, yeah, I'm, I'm a woman. So it's probably related to, <laughs> you know, that, that, that curiosity, like, wow, how, you know, how did we get to be here? And, right. and oh, and I can do this. And what does creating mean? And, and in a very sincere way, like, the, because it's become very popular to deconstruct and, you know, this is what's it, disruptive culture. And I was like, well, I thought art, sure, I guess it can disrupt, but that wasn't my, my personal motive. I was more interested in creation itself. You know, it's beautiful. It's, it's without an identity and enjoy it kind of thing, whether or not they whether or not they have the conscious awareness of what is going on, but I wanted to know what was going on. So I think magnetics is where everything kind of merged. <laughs> yeah. Well, and naturally so, I mean, we're told that 
scientists are finding more and more evidence for an electromagnetic basis or framework that all of energy and all these particles, whatever you might want to decide they are, they're, they're filling these places that are sort of the structure of it is electromagnetic, you know, like it's fascinating to, to think about it from this, like, I don't, I don't know if it's a subset perspective because it's like within everything around us, there is an aspect of magnetism. So it's a right. incredibly potent way to inspire creativity because it doesn't seem like there's any bounds. Right. Well, there's, and that's why I, uh, I keep bumping into things so that suggests that there are some bounds. And, and that's what, you know, allows something to last in a way. It's like there's these principles that exist regardless of what you think about it. And of course, humans are finding clever workarounds, but, you know, the nuance and the differences are, yeah. I really, I mean, I, I also have been really interested in history, right? I started noticing talking about patterns. You know, there's family lineage patterns, there's world history patterns, and they're, they're pretty predictable. It's kind of like, if this thing happens and that will happen, it's kind of like officially David and wife, advice, these guys that set up the kind of situations where one thing triggers a bunch of other things. Mm. And, and those types of things, you know, of course, are related to this magnetism. And in, on some level, it's like there's an impulse to want to control an outcome, which is, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's kind of fun to me now. Uh, it wasn't at the start, but yeah, if, if you want to, like I wanted to know what I was doing and how could I know what I was, like what would be the, the actual ramifications of producing something, even if it, say, didn't matter to anyone else, you know, because I never know. It's kind of a bit of timing, too, when I'm creating things, when I, I don't really know if it's going to completely connect with people where they're at, because we're in this magnetic moving field of things, and attention and awareness and everything like that is, it's kind of like an on-off switch, right? Or a Schrodinger's type of situation. Mm. So it's really hard to work with this way as well because yeah that's why I take so much time to think about each thing that I'm doing because the intention of something as well as the intention is fallacy doesn't always go that way it's like you can have or I could have a really good or I think it's a really great thing to do and then its result in other people's consciousness and whatever isn't doesn't connect so I want to of course take great care to make sure that it it works in a certain way and that it raises certain, I would say the magnetic thing to me is really important because of this undercurrent, these, these principles that regardless of what we think, they are. And yeah, that's, that's really like hard to, hard to really nail down, right? <laughs> it's like back <laughs> yeah. to truth, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and it, it sounds like you're creating art as a consciousness tool. And my question is, you know, maybe these tools that you're creating 
aren't getting the response that you're seeing or looking for because that's not the response that's intended from the accretion. What if you're affecting subtle energy fields that are affecting the observers of your art without them even consciously being aware of it? I mean, have you ever thought right. of like a one it like you build something or make something once and it kind of just takes up dust somewhere, but it serves its purpose. It's still serving a purpose, although it's not being witnessed. That's so funny. He, the art car uh, organizer, founder, he said that uh, in different words, of course. And I thought, all right, so this is still worth doing. <laughs> you know, I'll keep, I'll keep doing these things. And because it's kind of like group meditation in a way, and we, ha we have studies on it now. We didn't before, but the idea that the energies come together and actually impart some kind of effect. And even though it's invisible, we, it's kind of like the smoke fire thing, you know? So we, we can impart, but we have a relationship to the matter through the immaterial. So, and I think most people can feel that, but some people can't feel that. And so, yeah, the, the work still does reach them, even if they're not aware of it. That's what Steve has been saying and what you're suggesting. Yeah. I would say that's probably, that's probably true. And it's kind of, you know, like I can't prove it. But I think that's overall, a lot of the artists that I meet generally tend to concur on, on that. So, right. Well, and <laughs> as an artist, I wonder your thoughts on this concept because where I live, and I'm sure this is true where you live, but where I live, when we go and drive around in the farm area, you might come across like a giant statue in a farmer's field. And it's like, well, this is not really a busy road. It's not really a roadside attraction. And sure, it looks pretty, but this farmer is, you know, one of 10 people that see it on a weekly basis. So it's like, you know, maybe there's a broader purpose for these works of art that you know, aren't just to capture attention, but to anchor a certain type of energy in a certain type of place. I mean, on your website, you use the phrase geographic empathy. Yeah. Does that relate at all to what I just described and like being able to feel out a certain area on the map for having a certain energy that maybe you as the artist can then crystallize with the right piece? Yeah, I would. That's, that's exactly where I was, where I go with that. And what else can I say? I mean, again, you said it so well. Thank you. You know, I mean. In a, in a, in a time frame of things, you know, we don't really ever know what's going to happen. There's a lot of stories about, you know, this is what we got to do. This is definitely happening. It's our fault or this or that. And it's like, well, but at any moment, something could happen and everything could change. And that's unnerving to think about. So don't think about that all the time, but something is happening, whether or not we're aware of it. I guess you could call it the butterfly effect, but I'm, I'm more particularly interested in the, like you said, these sites, the geographical sites, because we're also always leaving traces, you know, our mark back to the, you know, the cave spaces. It's like, and that these traces, these things we're imparting into the field, are doing something and it's going to you know i love ancient civilization studies it's 
it, it gives a lot. So it's always an act of generosity in a way with the generosity that the site is offering. And yeah, for me, that, that's beauty. So not just superficial topical look beauty, but beauty that connects the look with that eminence. And it does something to us. That's what one of my good friends, he, he was way more con, you know, concise than I just kind of strung together four sentences about it. He would say, you know, I don't really understand it. I don't really need to. I just know that when I encounter art, it does something good to me. And I said, well, I think it makes you think. It's like, no, I think it's something else. <laughs> and that just stuck with me. It's like art's always working on people, even if just a few people see it. But it's not just working on people. It's working on the field that people are connected, which is that's a pretty big claim in a way. But how could it not? It's like um, Ken Boom. Uh, he's another artist. And he, you know, he had this essay about everything matters. And that's enormous, but it, how could it not be true? Right. Right. Yeah. It's this sort of comprehensive view of all things. You can't count anything out. And yeah, I, I've been having several conversations about these types of art pieces, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. A friend, Chad Stemke, has identified a couple different national monuments that seem to resemble portals and right and sort of hint at this like feminine or masculine gender aspects as well like a a womb or a you know penis and as an obelisk or you know womb as an arch right so there's uh-huh. there's definitely a sort of obtuse symbolic nature to these things but we found that it gets really, really detailed, really specific. And I like that idea you mentioned at the beginning of the cookie jar. Like you have these ideas in your cookie jar and some of them might apply to your current project. Some of them are just hanging out and waiting for that next project or maybe, you know, will be the last cookie in the jar and, and not get used or something, right? So tell, tell me more about this. Is this a physical object that you keep with like little notes in it? Or is this just a, a sort of thought experiment or a, a, a device? Well, the cookie jar, I guess it could be a, an actual sculpture someday. It's, a, it's Right now, it's a web-hosted platform. So I'm using Substack right now. I used to have it as a journal on my website and it was a way to offer those thoughts and like ingredients like to to the to the reader and 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 indeed like a thought experiment receive feedback not just to get the feedback myself but because of you know when I read a book it gives me lots of ideas so it's also aimed to be a bit like inspirational motivation without being that kind of you know, you can do it cheerleader thing. It's like, because I, you know, I can, I tend to be that way with especially my friends and that I can be a bit annoying too. It's, it's maybe a bit too directive. So I try with the cookies to not be too didactic. And that's why I, I failed at journalism because they're like, well, take a position. And I'm thinking, yeah, but I'm really interested in what happens. Yeah, I thought experiment probably the right thing. What happens when you open up uh, an amalgamation of different thoughts and ideas and arrange them in a particular type of pattern or structure 
and and what that does. And so far, it's been pretty effective. I mean, I encourage everyone to comment publicly because the letters that I receive from people, they're, I feel like the responses are, for lack of a better word, better or more interesting, at least for me, because they're coming from someone else's experience. I don't know if it's just their mind, but it's, things that I could have never fathomed are coming back and so that's that's kind of the idea of the cookie jars like when you eat a cookie you know people have to take in fuel they're taking in some nutrition and then they're going to do something with that and again like with art I wanted the cookie jar to be something a little bit of something for everyone which in advertising and marketing they say you know if you make something for everyone you know you effectively reach no one but it has reached all kinds of people, all in different geographical locations that, well, maybe they are tied to some kind of energy portal in a way. I don't know, but they, it has reached things beyond my consciousness, beyond any realm of predictable possibility. So it's, it's also a tool for me to try to have some connection with randomness because, you know, some of the projects I do are very, deliberate mm-hmm. and yeah I I don't want them to become that stale cookie at the end of the jar so <laughs> kind of my own my friend Rudy always said you know you have to invent new ways of sneaking up on yourself you know and Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's it's a lot of things that for me and others I, I had no idea how it would resonate it was kind of an evolution from a different blog I'd done on Chicago now and that was called the art of advice and I stopped that for like 14 years or something and yeah it felt stale pretty fast and I was like this is not founded on something mature enough and then people say yeah but we really like reading your writing and I was rereading some of the posts and I kept thinking why on earth because it's not but it wasn't good writing at the time and and that's when I realized, oh, it's not necessarily good writing or not. It's how it's how it's being used for other people, what they're taking away from it. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, I just have to kind of open things up a bit. And what should it be called? Because what do you call a series of essays? You know, it's like trying to decide a book title before you've written a book. Some people do that, I guess, but I, I can't do that. I'm not. I always use the elbow metaphor. My elbow bends one way, and I can't, I can't change that. So yeah, the cookie jar. I mean, cause I, I was always baking for people, and I mean, you, you can't, you can't really mess up in the kitchen. Even if the recipe is flopped and tastes bad, you still have made something. It's kind of like a recipe for handling failures too, in a way, which I feel is really important. It's like failures just. It's going to happen, and our, I feel like, well, at least the culture I was raised in admonishes it completely. It's like, no, you can't fail. If you fail, you know, you're, you'll have nothing, right? And I really detected that kind of energy because it's so, I don't know, like nature itself can be brutal, but somehow felt a little bit more forgiving. It's like, yeah, uh, yeah. So, well, yeah, I went a lot of 
thought went into the, the name, and hopefully that would also be playful. Yeah, I like that. I like the the instinct towards randomness. I myself have, have tried to integrate that in my life more often, traveling around, using a dice to impose wow. randomness, right? You know, make the decision and, and sort of make like, you know, odds, odd numbers, laugh turns, even numbers, right turns, and so on and so forth. And it could be tremendously shocking where you end up, like what the universe wants you to see on that particular day. But I, I recommend people, you know, get outside of, of their comfort zone, go somewhere they haven't been before. And I hadn't really, I hadn't really put much thought into, you know, a word of like, well, this is what happens if you don't find anything. Cause I don't know if you can fail if your attention is in the right place. And I think you're, you're spot on with the way our society has sort of admonished failure. And I think if people learned from their mistakes before they beat themselves up for their mistakes, we um, would, you know, collectively be moving at a faster speed towards a better world. Just my two cents. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. I mean, that's really beautiful. And what a fun, I would have never, your gut beat. I mean, just leaving it up chance with the dice <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> some real that's right there well you, you definitely <laughs> want to be safe you know when and right. don't go too far <laughs> off the the beaten path but yeah i i wrote a essay pamphlet article i i don't know it's not quite a uh -huh. book it's only 16 pages but it's uh, it's all about dream walking and how to initiate dream walking and using the dice and using pencil and pen and a compass you can sort of create your own little map of whatever experience you had that day and begin uh -huh. to map it all out you know whether you create one map and keep adding to it or you create a new map for each little journey you go on the idea is that you're going to find yourself, you know, like if you go out looking, you're going to find something and it's going to be something that is relative to your own self-discovery. It's just inevitable because we're, we're observers. So we're going to observe a part of ourselves that's out in the world. Right. Wow. <laughs> what a beautiful framework. So, I mean, even so you end Thank up you. with a map and that itself feels like art because each one is, distinct from the other mm. uh, even though you, re you kind of reproduce the same type of result a map but uh, they would be completely different and then maybe over time you would start noticing patterns and then I guess we're kind of back to magnetics again like because you did it and you know there, there's going to be something like you said you'll discover yourself and Maybe it is a question about, you know, what are we? <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, and because, and when you said this, how did you say it again? That was amazing. It reminded me of one of Richard Grossinger's books about ah, dream walking. That's what you said. Right. And that directly ties in with the question of, you know, things about chicken, you know, chicken or egg, if you're asleep or dreaming. And, how we've kind of assumed 
the reality that we're awake in is more significant than, gosh, all the time that we spend sleeping, which I always kind of imagine that we're constructing things while we sleep with a different set of our awareness. So it's very creative in a way. And so you're kind of you've created a formula to tap into that in your waking state. That's, that's genius. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I've never you. heard anything like that before. <laughs> And I've heard a lot of artist talks and I'm very, you know, enthusiastic about the artwork that I find that's like, you know, really, because that's also relatable. That, I mean, I, this is another question, like what's art? And I think it's, it usually gets really heated, but if you use, you know, mindfulness tactics and take a step back and it becomes really interesting, but that for me, hands down, that's really, you have your maps somewhere, are you collecting them or? Yeah, yeah, we've made a few sort of drafts, and I've put the book out, you know, I've sent it out to a lot of different people, so a few of my friends who also podcast have gone on their own little journeys, and I plan on writing another one first, but the idea is first, but a a second edition concerning maybe new techniques or new ways to get into this, but... Yeah, the the concept of dreamwalking is sort of inspired by many different people. My number one inspiration is Michael Wan, you know, and all of his work. But yeah, it's it's certainly certainly interesting to hear people's feedback, and I'm excited to get more feedback. But I think that ultimately it's going to be very personal for each individual. Mm-hmm. And right. that might lead to less people sharing just due to the <laughs> nature of it. You know, they might want to keep that info close to close to themselves. But yeah, for me, I've noticed tremendous changes in my life since I started doing this. And in, at first, it just was a response to, you know, our situation over the past two years and everything being shut down. Me, I'm mm. sort of antsy. I couldn't stay in one place. So I... I said, well, I'm safe in my car. I'm going to drive around. And I drove, you know, I drove all over the place. I I drove all the way up like three states away, almost to the Canadian border. I live in Connecticut. And then Uh I drove all the way out to Indiana at one point. So I went all over Uh the place and, and I started to realize that the events that were unplanned were 10 times more interesting than when I would try to plan something. And and I had that instinct. I had always thought like, oh, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just unprepared. I'm not a good planner. But you you said something (laughs) earlier that kind of adds like a, a science to this or an intelligence to this, which is like, well, at least I think it is. It's like, you know, when you go with the flow and you release your expectations, you're sort of magnetically aligning yourself with maybe what you're supposed to be doing rather than what you think you're supposed to be doing. Because what we think we're supposed to be doing is often clouded by maybe less natural things, less natural forces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I find so juicy about it, because we I mean, social media, obviously, is a great tool. Um, I, I feel like it has really imparted a pretty rigid way of trying to understand humans. And so we have artificial intelligence, and we, we're, we know that we're populating this database that, you know, is creating the, sem- the semblance of consciousness, but it's not because it's, I had a conversation with a machine 
via a friend that knew how to interface. It was, I think it's Dolly, the language thing. And it's funny because we asked it some, you know, deep questions and the response was, you know, felt kind of deep, but then I started noticing, oh, those kind of actually sound like all the pre-formulated, you know, I can't lump all new age stuff, but there's, there's certain new age things out there that are just really formulaic. Like a trope <laughs> or a cliche. Right. Mm. Exactly. And it's just kind of like the difference between noticing someone patting you on the back who's saying, oh, it's going to be all right. And then someone patting their hand on the back, you know, more mechanically as a performed behavior. And can you tell the difference? Me, I often couldn't, but my nervous system could. So uh, your project taps into this kind of authenticity is used a lot. I, I think it's this kind of genuine, this genuineness there that algorithms, for example, just seem to miss. So they can feel kind of right, but they're not mm. all right. And, you know, it's unsettling. You know, this uncanny valley is usually talked about with... Yes. Artificial intelligence. Yes. Wow. I'm so glad you're bringing this up. I just spoke with a MIT graduate who wrote a book called The Simulation Multiverse or The Simulation ah, Hypothesis. So you're right. But, you know, the, the idea, the concept of that kind of blended into what became this book I just described. One of those inspirations was an app called Randonautica. You might be familiar with it. Are, you? No, 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 I'm okay. learning all kinds of things today. Thank you. <laughs> well, cool. So I'll explain real quick. I think maybe the listeners might have heard of it, but it was essentially an application on your phone that would be like Google Maps. It would have a map in the app, right? And uh-huh. instead of giving you directions or showing you places, it would use a random number generator to randomly generate a location within a certain radius of your location. So okay. it would generate all sorts of random events for people in their life. And, and people started to get really concerned, like, oh, my gosh, like I went to this place and this really significant thing happened to me. And. You know, I'm starting to think that this computer is manipulating my life. And I'm like listening to some of these stories and I'm thinking to myself, well, that doesn't sound like anything I'd want to be a part of. And, you know, (laughs) years go on and and I tried the game out once or twice and eh, my phone wasn't the best. So I probably chalk it up to my phone not being great and it didn't work for me. But I, I thought, that was the gift. Yeah, it <laughs> that was the gift. That, that was the, yeah. That in hindsight, yes. And I, I think you know, doing this with dice removes you from the system or Skynet or however you want to, you know, computers and you know, right. and kind of keeps you in your own domain and and between you and your environment and you know your your spiritual world, whatever that may be for each individual. That was my right. goal with with the the project, and my girlfriend and I experimented on many times. So I had sort of a lot of practice with it, just sort of going around and seeing what we find. And we're always taken to these like strange historical places that had a little piece of a larger story. And I've always had tremendous interest in indigenous cultures, specifically the ones here where I was born and. So to be taken to one of the only left 
like proper native reserves in Connecticut that it doesn't have a casino on it, just synchronistically right. down a dirt road, you know, that was tremendously synchronistic for Tara and I, because we've been, you know, researching where all these, you know, certain sacred spots were or places where the natives used to live back before the, the colonial days. And so that, that was really interesting to be, you know, pulled along the landscape in a way that it's like what we're talking about with magnetics, like, you know, right. 400 years of history says, okay, the Europeans did this here, but there's thousands and thousands of history, you know, before that of people moving in this place in a different way. And I think that's right. what we're really tapping into is like, what, what is the, the pattern, the older pattern, the larger pattern that's underneath yeah. this new pattern that's been set up? Exactly. And that is the pattern that I've been interested in. I, I mean, I'm on some level, I feel a little worried if it's really well defined, you know, if that can then be corrupted. But I, I tend to have a bit of faith around it, that it has, it has something built into its own intelligence that would make it, you know, like a repellent so that this other stuff couldn't puncture it. In a way, well, it, because that mani that manipulation that technology can do is so it's pretty subtle for a lot of people. It might be really obvious to you know a, a really well trained person, but yeah, no, <laughs> like I, a guy at MIT with the book. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, you probably just see it and smell it from a mile away. But, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Well, and yeah, there is this corruptible nature mm -hmm. that technology has and and yeah there's certainly a thought to to preserve all these lost languages through computers and it's almost like anachronistic because we don't want you know we don't want people not speaking this in replacement you know with they like computers we want people speaking it you know people need to remember it it's an oral tradition it's not a you know it's not a text-based or audio-based tradition it's a, a voice based tra tradition so yeah there's a there's a lot of of concepts intersecting right now not just in this conversation but in the world and and yeah i think right us with our our sympathetic views and s sensitive you know approach to this sort of thing we need to be able to speak our voices and have a a say in what's to happen next you know and i think art is a a subtle and, and really powerful way to do that to influence right. people and, and help them see something that maybe they they've been conditioned not to see exactly that's what I started noticing is that part of the reason I was having trouble seeing that I could sense the difference but it's because of I you know I grew up in America so you know it, it was and I've always had this like itchy allergy <laughs> talking about phones working or not working. With. You know, sometimes things don't work. And if, I, if there's a glitch in something, I can usually find it because, you know, it's, everything is also imperfect and it's perfect and it's imperfection type of thing. But it's like I, ke I ke kept running into these boundaries of the technocratic capacity as well and kept thinking, well, yeah, now we're setting up a new system of constructs and it is indeed 
another hovering world. And that, that hovering world, you know, it is back to the question, I think, 20 minutes ago where you mentioned, you know, what, what are you really supposed to be doing? Not what everyone tells you or even maybe what you think, because I had all kinds of shoulds and presuppositions about what I ought to be spending my time doing, you know, going to school, doing this and that, and not to rag on school at all, because I learned a great deal from my teachers. But that if, if we live differently, more in tune with ourselves, yeah, maybe we would have less illness. Maybe people would be able to work through conflicts and have difficult conversations more readily. Maybe we would, and it's not even a lot of these ideas tend to go towards the, we're going to get rid of money and, you know, we're going to have a tax <laughs> society, which is like, I'm not necessarily going that far with it either because I just feel that there's so much in place already that can work. And it's not that we need to necessarily build something else, but that we have something within ourselves that has remained untapped because right. of this kind of allure. You know, it's it's addicting, the, the computers and the technology and the knowledge. And it's like, it's feeding on that desire we have built into us. And we can do, yeah, we can do things like you, you invented. And... Yeah, it's, I'm, it sounds like it didn't just happen overnight, that idea. It's like... Oh, no. <laughs> we, even, we even experimented and went out to Pennsylvania and, and went on a, a little trip with our friend Michael Wan, who I mentioned. And, right. and yeah, it was, it was proven there. And what happened, we made our way to this really interesting spot called the Serpentine Barrens. There wow. Are, yeah, there are only only a handful of places on the East Coast and the United States where they have enough serpentine in the soil to change the biodiversity of the plant life. So you, you're standing wow. in like a Pennsylvania East Coast type forest and then you walk 10 feet and now you're in what looks like East Texas, like scrublands and scraggly trees and... So it's a very interesting, speaking of magnetism, an interesting place mm. to get pulled to because part of the book I was telling you about that I, I put together is mm -hmm. to use minerals, animals, and plants and their symbolic meaning to divinate what you might need to do in your life because all of these beings are out there sharing the space with you, magnetically pulling you towards them and and. You know, I always see birds, you know, Tara and I, when we're driving, we always see birds. And I, I put it in the book, you know, be aware for and on the lookout for omens, objects or occurrences, because things will will be shown to you in those ways. You know, something might happen. You might find something. You might see something. Right. So those would be your omens, your objects and your occurrences. I noticed you have something on your website about very similar about collected rocks and how you've gathered mm -hmm. these rocks on your, your hike. And that's very much like what we do, you know, we just sort of 
walking around, observing, putting our awareness in nature and, and a, a rock will just sort of, or a stone or, or even sometimes a, a, a gem, like a crystal, you know, will like be staring back at you and you're kind of looking at it like, huh, that looks like I could take it home with me. <laughs> but right. what's the thought with that? Is there a, I, I know you've thought this out to a large extent. So what what's the the point with with this project in particular because i think it fits in with with what i just described maybe i'm wrong yeah it really does and i actually had one of my friends he's from rome explain (laughs) explain to me and again more succinctly than i could do myself i'm going to reference his words uh he started to notice um a difference in pattern and so i realized that the magnetics and the stones and these objects was, was related to a pattern. And that pattern for me, the interest in it is to live in harmony with nature. So but how do I know that I'm actually living in harmony with nature? Because, you know, I don't, I don't have knowledge. I don't have this vast lived experience. That's not been my specialty and I don't always retain it either. And I thought, well, you know, I'm like a lot of other people that probably wouldn't retain that information either. So maybe there is a way of knowing through sense. And so the project was about trying to find that out. It, it was also very healing in a way too. You know, trauma is talked about thankfully a lot more and what that actually means and what actually happens with our nervous systems when that happens. So it has many different applications and it, in a way, it was to try to attune myself through very, you know, I made a huge decision you know, to, at the, before this project started to move to a new country, thinking, you know, how hard could it be, which sounds ridiculous to me now. Uh, but, and so it was also a means of grounding myself in that place, too. So it had many different layers on a personal level and then also on what I was trying to find out which is what what would it mean to follow my inner compass in a way because I feel like that was always the answer if I you know meditated or wanted an answer no one else could give me an answer it's up to me it's up to each individual to decide Hmm. and so many decisions I've made I feel like were you know if I was uncertain or vague or unclear about something it was because I was following something else whether it was input or not and so it's just a distinguishing tool and the the comments my friend made that i wanted to reference and how that relates to art and history and land and site and all that was he noticed that there was a kind of patterning in viking norse object making that was different than other object making and that the, these types of forms and patterns were appealing. You know, that there, was, there was people noticing those patterns and then putting them into the objects. And he said, oh, I see those in the images that you're making. And I had never made that connection myself. And I was like, oh, well, that actually would make a lot of sense because they're probably tuned into a particular pattern in nature that we kind of lost touch with. And maybe there's something we can use, not just as an object itself, right? Because they're objects, they're artworks. But it's a, it's a type of intelligence, actually, 
a survival type intelligence. Survival gets a lot of bad rap. It's like, you know, kind of poo-pooed on in a way, which is fine. It's fertilizer, but yeah, to, to carry on as a, as a human, as a species. And, you know, it's kind of, I guess, antagonistic some people may feel to transhumanism. And I don't mean it to be antagonistic and confrontational with it, but that, yeah, it's a choice. And if I've learned anything from history is that if I, if you don't notice something quick enough, someone's just come along and taken away choices. And then, you know, you're, you're not free anymore. And I've kind of always been of the mind that we actually were born free. And then we got contextualized and culturated, but we're still always free. Even if people don't feel free or, and that things are, you're okay. Even if you don't feel okay, it's like, having a faith and a trust in the process of life and yeah, reimagining what a society that supports that would look like because we, we have these structures, you know, like going to therapy or taking medicine or things like that. And I'm, I'm way in the preventative camp where, yeah, but what if we didn't have problems, which is really idealistic, but I, I just feel like, yeah, we, it's within, if other things are possible, if we can send things to Mars, which takes tons of energy and resources. It's, we could, we could probably sort this out. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And I, I, I don't think your idealism is unwelcome on this show. It's right at home. I think maybe if anything, I'm too idealistic on this show, but I'm <laughs> I with feel you. like I've said that too. <laughs> well, and you know, I love what you just said. And it reminded me of something earlier that I wanted to highlight, which is your point about how we should evolve and change the system and not scrap it and replace it. I agree with right. that 100%. And, I, you know, I've always loved nature. I've always looked to nature for wisdom. And when we look around in the animal kingdom, sure, you know, animals and plants, they compete with one another, but right. they don't replace each other. They symbiotically push each other right. to do better. Like a dolphin once had legs, you know, but then at one point it started to swim because, hey, there was too much water. It was better for it to, to navigate the water. Now look what it can do. I mean, it's one of the most intelligent creatures on the planet. But at, at one point those flippers were, were feet. So, yeah, I think we we all need to, to look to our natural world and, and see how you know, things work on a large, large scale. We think in s short terms, you know, we have, you know, less than a hundred years, most of us, right? So, right. and me, I mean, I feel like I've, I've only seen such a small percentage of the planet. If, if I'm correct, you've been to, to Norway or are from Norway. You lived in Norway for some time. It sounds like you have a sort of accent, but you said you, you lived in Illinois too. So now I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, my, well, it starts with the beginning of my life. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, no, I, I've lived in Norway for seven years. And I lived in California as well. But yeah, I think most of my life was in Illinois, some time in California, and seven years in Norway. So I got, I've always had a funny accent. And I didn't notice until I started doing the cookie jar. So I have to listen to it to see, oh, did that go okay? So I could hear myself. And it's gotten really funny since <laughs> living in Norway. And every now and then it will it will change too. And I can't really I can't really account for that. 
I think it's, I also blamed Siri for a little while because I did speak completely differently before I had to start talking to a machine. And I didn't have to talk to the machine. I just didn't want to put in all the data myself. And Siri couldn't, couldn't understand my Midwestern dialect. Oh. So I started, <laughs> I started speaking really differently and she could understand me or the machine could, I could do it right. So yeah, it's, it's also probably from adapting to most of my friends come from lots of places as well. And I think I have a really powerful mirror neuron system that I'll adapt to their speech to, you know, make sure that they feel like they're being understood without, without recognizing it myself. So it's kind of a, it's a, but I was teased for it growing up too. So you, you talk funny. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. <laughs> As someone who who speaks to other people for a job now, you have a very pleasant voice and I don't think it's deserves being teased. So, no, I I think I think it's it's very pleasant. And yeah, I just I noticed on your website too the stuff about Norway. So I have a friend in in Norway who has a podcast. Oh, where? Well, I, I would do a disservice and he would make fun of me if I tried to pronounce where he lives. I think he lives near Oslo though, but, but yeah, he lives somewhere near Oslo and he's, he's a well-known podcaster. He's got a big podcast forum for Borealis, very interesting subjects. Cool. But yeah, I wonder if I've been there (laughs) because I, yeah, I lived, I lived in Oslo for five years it was and got to go to see a bunch of places with my partner and region around, you know, Telemark and, I was kind of following, I was following a different, you know, you had your map formula that you created. I was following kind of this question of wanting to find something real, right? What's real versus what's fake. That was before, you know, 2016 happened. And so that was, that led to, you know, going to where cobalt was mined and all kinds of different places where heavy water was being made a lot of it had ties to commerce and also trying to sort out is peace possible because yeah most people that i've met would say war never ends and i thought well is peace possible and maybe if i if i don't study peace maybe if i ought to study war then maybe i'll understand something about why (laughs) it was you know it's a bit of a futile project but it led me to very different sites. So I might have been to where the skies east. You said it's called Aurora Borealis, the podcast? Forum, Forum Borealis. Oh, Forum Borealis. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, that's all, all right. right. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm i a little flabbergasted by what you just said because I'm in total agreement on the point of peace. And when I was a kid, I, I was, you know, born in America, born in, in New mm-hmm. England very close to okay. where 9-11 happened. So, you know, we right. were we were very much a response. The response to that was patriotic. And, you know, I started to wake up in my teenage years to be like, wow, that was kind of like propaganda. Like, why was I re- supporting this like war, you know? And I got really interested in in studying right. war and figuring out what what's going on there. And ultimately, right. somehow it, it led me to spirituality and and this idea that maybe there is a a spiritual war going on that that is behind Mm. more of this stuff and Mm. you know when you said that you you were looking for 
cobalt and other minerals and you found yourself bumping up against like this war machine doesn't surprise me i did a show almost a few months ago several different episodes of a show with a friend and we looked into different elements on the periodic table of elements just to sort of see like what connections were there and and more often than not we found all sorts of military technology and of course Mm -hmm. you know when I looked at this from the native or indigenous perspective, you know, there's plenty of different stones here in America and across the world that, you know, are very special and used for different purposes. Quartz is probably obvious, but others here in America, like soapstone or, you know, pipestone and serpentine that I mentioned earlier, all sacred stones here. So, you know, I do think there's, you know, an inversion tactic at play where they take things that are meant to be sacred and invert them. And maybe that's what it's what's at play there. I mean, cobalt, the word cobalt comes from I think a German word for like goblin because the miners would find little goblins running around in in the mines. So yeah, there's, there's all these alchemical and, and esoteric connections when you start learning about minerals and, and this whole world of, of mining and, and materials, you know? Right. Yeah. And that was, you know, every time you say serpentine as an artist, I can't, not think of Serpentine Gallery because, you know, there's different art organizations, there's different nonprofits, there's different businesses. And also, you know, because I was curious about this boycotting phenomenon, you know, because it's, there's all kinds of food movements that have absolutely changed the, at least the appearance of what we eat. <laughs> and um, again, it's a question of real or it's not that there's fake food. It's like because people have been genetically modifying plants through grafting and, you know, for a long, long time. So I'm not like an extremist about that either. But I just noticed, again, with you know, different companies or different businesses, whether they did it on purpose or not, selecting their name or things like that, that there, could, they, could that be an energetic alignment with different histories mm. and yeah with regards to making choices in life and you know, be, we're always confronted with new themes that we don't I mean I guess we're kind of told what's the right thing to do and one thing I noticed when I started I had some health problems in 2016 was that I some part of my consciousness was starting to scream at me like that quiet inner voice was really loud and it didn't make a ton of sense because it kind of, there was some sense of like that I brought part of that situation on myself through following advice in a way that I didn't, I mean, I can't go back and not say, for example, take that pill or do this or that. I wasn't into pills, but I mean, like prescriptions and things like that. It's a, it's a simple thing that everything has a consequence. And so I wanted to know more about yeah, this spiritual path, I want to know more about what I'm doing with, with my life, especially if I'm going to say anything to someone else. So it's about kind of like an extreme responsibility and finding out, you know, finding out what's what is, is really hard. I mean, even today, for a really simple example, trying to figure out what kind of tape to use on this project. <laughs> 
And this one site says, you know, you can't use this tape. You know, it's going to make a mess. And that's to sell a product, which isn't necessarily an evil thing. So I'm not going to jump up and down serpentine or goblin miners as like, you know, the villain or whatever. But that just to kind of understand that these things are hiding in plain sight and they're embedded in our language and our words. And, right. and in that, that we actually do have something to point towards because it, a lot of these studies, one of my critiques of them were always, yeah, thanks for telling me some, you know, alternative view of things, but how can I know that that's true also? And, you know, cause group consensus, I guess you probably learned earlier than me <laughs> because there was this in 2012, I took social psychology, realized how dangerous it was. And of course, there was other histories that suggest how dangerous group consensus can be. But, you know, when you're in the moment when time is actually unfolding, I wanted to know how to know. It's, uh, it was, yeah, it, it turned out to not be that easy, at least not in the beginning. And I definitely still wrestle with it. Right. How, how can we? How can we know for sure? And back to the name of the podcast, my family thinks I'm crazy. There's so many times. Yeah, I was literally actually starting to believe I was completely crazy. But I'm like, I can't just be imagining these connections, or that just happens to be like that. Or it's like. Because I just, I, I came upon it. I found it. It already existed before me. It has nothing, it's not personal to me. Mm. So I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to catalyze a particular narrative. It, you know, it's like, you know, I was very sensitive to that because of, of course, you know, histories of tyrants and things like that. And, you know, we've seen recently in the news, you know, people just really saying, you know, being responsible for what you say and, and making, taking care to make sure that it's not doing harm. Right. And uh, yeah, that's the thing. It's like I uh, maybe had advice to take Tylenol, for example, or whatnot. And, and that person may not have meant harm. So it's not their fault if I do it in a way that's bad for me. It's up to me. But generally, <laughs> that's a lot of thinking and consideration that, a lot of people may not even have the energy to do. And uh, yeah, I was really concerned about these things, of course, because I was working as a copywriter. And so I kind of got a little first kind of experience in how, <laughs> what's going on with that, you know? Don't, just because it's on the market doesn't mean it's okay. That was, but yeah, I just, you know, just generally trying to be careful and caring through through that. And yeah, I found these things, like you said, the meaning of words. It's like it was, it was actually baked into the meaning, which I found really useful with this cultural thing going on, you know, cultural, psycho, psychological, spiritual wars with language. Mm. And that it was in the words as well. And I could feel them, you know, You've probably heard that, you know, spelling, we're spelling, we're casting spells on each other. <laughs> right. It's like, and it, it, it works to an extent because, of course, there's vibration and intention and energy. But I, I kind of stopped a little bit right there, too, because, I mean, 
I, I, some people have told me all kinds of things that, wow, like someone wrote, well, all your projects are going to fail. And I thought, well, thank you for that message. <laughs> but, you know, I'm giggling a bit because I also don't believe that, each, you know, each of us are un, omnipotent and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like have that much power right, over right. each other. Right. Yeah, no, it would be a much more extreme world if it, if it worked that quickly and easily. Right. Yeah, and so thank goodness it doesn't. But when well, also people are vibration hit, too, right? I mean, people coming from the negative dynamic are going to have less output energy because they're working with less in the first place if they're feeling negative and maybe it's through no fault of their own and you know, as my friend Sam always says, it's like they're just doing a drive-by. It's not personal. They're just taking it out on you, <laughs> you know, because you just happen to be standing there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's absolutely a thing. But to know, know in the instance, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, a lot of people, they always have like, I mean, I really appreciate it. They have this quick humor, quick wit. And I was, I was never really like a quick wit person. And then, and I had to work really hard to be able to write or to speak well. It was it was really not my my forte. So in those instances, I would, you know, I'm, as a sensitive body, I would absorb stuff, and I didn't I didn't know how to digest it or process it either because it was so foreign in a way. Right. And, right. I'm very similar. Yeah. It. it it can be a tough lesson to learn the power of, of words because we often overestimate our peers and underestimate ourselves. Oh, wow. Really well said. Yeah. And that again with, you know, and that, that right there inspired really deep changes that, yeah, I mean, I probably still working with, you know, that kind of understanding of, yeah, not underestimating myself. Because that, that was how I feel like I allowed some of my personal choices to be manipulated, either by advertising or group consensus or things like that in the past. And, you know, a lot of people have said with what was going on the last couple of years, some people have made some memes out about how, how much courage and strength it takes to resist that. And I was thinking, it's true, but now that I'm in a place where I can be more thorough and, and tuned in with life, it wasn't that hard of a choice. I mean, it was, yeah, it was an obvious note that I'm going to wait and watch for more information because anything that is really fast moving and really repetitive, it's just like got red flags all over it for me. So, <laughs> right. This <laughs> And yeah, again, about nature being more forgiving than, I mean, obviously we still get to be here and we've made loads of mistakes as a species. So obviously we shouldn't, you know, continue to be nasty at nature, but it's, you know, it's, it's again, maybe life is more forgiving of our mistakes than we think as well. Kind of riffing off of what you said about the, oh, yeah. yeah, underestimating yourself. It's like we have that magnanimous like love within us as well that nature has and we I mean we don't it was it was, a, it was an argument with another friend that I had where I always said no I have to go for walks in nature he said why can't you just go down the street and it's not the same he's like yeah effectively it's not 
but actually it is because the city is actually made of nature, everything. And I was, it was a really great argument. And I was like, oh, wow. So then, I, of course, I tried to see if it would affect me the same way. But then, of course, there's... Has this person ever know, been to New York City? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure, actually. But I know he lived in... Him and his wife lived in the suburbs of Chicago. Oh, well, if so, he says that about Chicago, then I guess that's not all that dissimilar. I'm thinking a European city or something. Okay. Well, right, then, yeah, yeah, Chicago, it got a reputation over there. Okay. Well, I see the argument, Absolutely. but I think there's also <laughs> the argument that like the oxygen quality would probably be lower. You'd right. have more oxygen in the forest, right. which is incredibly, and all the trees, the bathing in the trees, you know, the, the whole energy right. of trees. Exactly. And I, it was interesting. It kind of stuck with me, obviously, for all these years, at least 10 years now, I think, since we said that. And, you know, I, I'm just going to say, well, all right, then I'm not a master, right? And, and if I was like in martial arts of training of attunement to sensitive energies, I'm not a master. I got a long way to go. Maybe I'll catch up with you on that idea, but I just am going to accept my limitations with those sensitivities, but it, it, it did catch my attention simply because of what you said about dolphins and fins and things like that and adapting and that some people's nervous systems may be able to adapt better than others to certain living conditions. And again, like an elbow bending a certain way, it was, it was actually a doorway that that conversation invited me to walk through so it was again that was i guess the point of what i'm saying too is the the amazing transformative power of argument because i i think one of the other yeah it's like how you sneak up on yourself with your own biases and and you know of course consensus feels good you know i i like whatever's happening when we agree on something it's like ooh. <laughs> and then you know in the disagreement you know how do those things go so it was, it was also how he presented the idea too i mean this is a lot that goes into it but yeah just and on that level the in terms of thought experimentation it it, it does create more openness and and kind of fluidity of curiosity instead of being i think for a while i mean i had really identified for a while i'm a photographer this is it was a really narrow way of being and, and that's never, in my experience, ever a good way of being. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a really fun thing. I'll still gravitate towards living kind of out of cities, I think. But I, yeah, in terms of European cities, that was also really interesting. Like Oslo, for example, was it's kind of funny because it made me think about imagination because it was, I was really not satisfied living in Chicago, nothing against the place, but I was, I was, there was something I was deeply unsettling and unhappy about it for me. And I found a lot of those things in Oslo, but Oslo's changed so much in the last years too. So cities themselves almost seem like living organisms as well, much like forests. And, and those are prone to ecological shifts, not just actual, you know, weather or things like that. But yeah, that kind of, Oh yeah, like the tutelary energy of a city, the 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 energy body of uh, the collective, you know, 
unit of people right. that find themselves there and then the the pulse of the electricity and everything else the rhythm of the cars and people moving right. it's yeah it's definitely a living thing i mean especially when you watch these like time lapse aerial photography or you know videos of, of a city it's like yeah wow that's a heartbeat you know the same way right. our, our blood rushes through our our body that this like force moves through the city in the same way yeah Right. Yeah. That's, and oh, wow. Really poetic. Beautifully said. Yeah. It was, I felt that in LA too. And I, you know, I really, I really wanted to love LA. I'll <laughs> just say that right out the gate, but something like something always kind of went wrong in my body when I was there. Mm. And it could just be the pulse of it just doesn't suit me. And of course I really, you know, just up the coast a little ways, the cruise is a completely different pulse. And right. Well, you know, there's no, no perfect place, right? But there's where you can you can hum in sync with, right? Mm. Yeah. Well, and especially there, where the the ground shakes so much. I mean, the, the vibration <laughs> is is felt. But yeah, I you might be aware of a gentleman who I've interviewed named Peter Shampoo. He's written a a book called The Gaia Matrix, and he talks about this sort of yin-yang shape that expresses itself in certain cities where, you know, there's an upswing of energy towards one area and a downswing of energy towards another area. And the downswing tends to be the more impoverished areas. And I think, you know, if we look at the broader L.A. region, we might be able to even map out a, a yin-yang in the city, mm -hmm. you know, that region of LA and see like, oh, okay, yeah, the, the eastern side down to the southern side, maybe, you know, until you get to San Diego is for the most part not doing too well compared to, you know, the right. west side and the north side, right? Especially when you go further up towards Silicon Valley. So, yeah, it's interesting, right. you know, when you're, you know, as someone like yourself who thinks a lot about pattern recognition to like see how this energy is expressing itself on a societal level and you know especially considering what we're talking about with like magnetism and your own inner compass and and how to navigate the world i mean i would recommend people think twice about going to certain places in in a city because that downswing of energy could really you know knock you off your feet and, and not in a good way <laughs> That's a very funny, I'm laughing now because that's the funny thing about, you know, stressful situations is they're funny after. Uh, the, right. Yeah, I had a, I did a house sitting thing for a friend and you know, she had two little dogs and they were just, you know, sweet. They were, they were responding really well to being taken care of by someone new, which was a relief. And, you know, I was just being as I am, uh, of whatever that is and, went for a walk and oh it's a nice day and I knew it wasn't the best area of town it was like North Hollywood I didn't know how close to like I guess some pretty iffy area was and uh, iffy for me maybe not iffy for people living there because that's one of the you know cautions I have is that I don't seek to condemn zones it's like this is I'm more interested in what's good for somebody and you know either helping them find that within themselves or or whatnot, because if there's a pattern of gnarly things going on, you know, you, that that's, that that does something. And if you want to live, it's like again that basic will to to be 
but I ended up on a on a side street, and there was this enormous dog, and it was really interesting because I I didn't I didn't previously have the same kind of fears of dogs that a lot of people I've met do. And oh, and I kind of oh hi baby, <laughs> and it starts growling at me. <laughs> So that was the that was the start of it, and then I realized as it as it was getting closer, it was really like doing the kind of almost like wolf hunting type of walk. And I have these dogs, and I'm thinking, oh my god, this is. And that's this experience I bring up because of my curiosity now, in retrospect, how much I contributed to that happening, which went pretty bad, but everybody got out okay that fear energy played into what happened or didn't happen. And so what I was afraid of is that that dog was going to eat the little dog or attack me. And it was the size of the pit bull that I, at least I know they they can absolutely crush your bones. So that knowledge actually backfired on me. Whereas if I kind of didn't know, I kind of wonder how I would have responded. But I, I, I had a sense of danger and that this is absolutely dangerous. There's no other way out. We were either going to have to back away or turn away from the dog, which I didn't want to do or, you know, walk past it. And I, I think I shouted like they suggested you don't have bear spray at a bear. And I don't know what stopped that dog from attacking me or the animals, but it didn't. And I've tried to figure it out today and again with magnetics or energy like what what made that cross my path and right. yeah I mean it happened and I can't change the past I'm not dwelling on it but it's just kind of one of the other things I've noticed about awareness is that if you have a question for a while like the real case suggested you you live through the answer so eventually an answer may Come, but it was just really, it was really strange because I had never had an encounter with an animal like that in, in my entire life, and it, it was, it, it was just probably one of the absolutely most terrifying things to, to encounter. And I don't know if it was my presence that agitated it because I didn't resonate with that location. I mean, I really was a foreign entity. And I think about this metaphorically when it comes to human beings as well, you know, having come to a country that, you know, at least I had only positive knowledge about Norway and, and the relations between the U.S. and Norway. And, you know, I'm, the Midwest is full of Nordic heritage people and, and, you know, being really puzzled, like why, you know, I'm, I'm, I was a foreigner actually, right? The, and that actually had more significance than I realized. And because I just, I just flown into LA from Norway. So it was like the dog was probably just protecting its territory. So it's a warm welcome. All <laughs> right. <laughs> welcome to LA. Now, you know, it, it, that's effectively what, you know, pushed me up the coast of Santa Cruz. So, I mean, it's, it just the energy of that, yeah. you well, know, kind of negative encounter had me, you know, yin yang up to, this place, I was like, "Wow, this is paradise." <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm glad you, you you shared that because I was going to ask you when we started talking about traveling, like, you know, if you'd had any synchronicities, and that feels like a an example of of a synchronicity that we don't often hear about because people usually 
put more stock into like the bright and sunny synchronicities right. and not the scary <laughs> ones. But that's, I mean, you, you just laid it out there. I think, you know, for me, I've always been an animal lover. I've always felt like animals just warm up to me. So I never right. had a fear of dogs. But one day as a, before I started podcasting, when I was a delivery driver, I crossed paths with this girl who was walking her dog and I was trying to get back to my van, but to this dog, it looked like I was going straight for his owner, right? So like he was all over me and bit me in the leg like I've never been bitten before. And I thought about that for a long time, like what, you know, energetically, like what did I do that day that put me in that place? And I think it was like I was so stressed about like, go, 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 move, move, move all the time with that job that I was in that maybe life Mm -hmm. was just telling me to like, hey, slow down a little bit and and you right. know take a breath every now and then like you know don't don't try to walk in front of a, a lady and her dog just let them walk by first and and you know don't be in such a rush right so yeah right. It, was, it was interesting because animals are you know again back to magnetism they're good barometers for that kind of thing i mean we human beings we even have i think magnetite in certain areas of our brain and i think another type of mineral but you know, pigeons are known to have this. I think all animals have a part of their brain that, I mean, physically, if we're going to look at things just from the physical perspective, there's a, an actual, you know, piece of magnetic object in all of our brains. I and mean, what does that tell us? Right. Right. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, I've, I feel, I feel it sometimes in a kind of for sense, I guess. It feels really... And I guess I was, you know, I was just going to, of course, try to cultivate those sensitivities because that, that's, again, with what's happening with technology and, and AI and everything like that, I'm always just kind of like, hey, wait, wait, wait a second, though. We already have amazing technology built into us. Not that we're robots or machines at all, but we, we, have, all this, <laughs> we have all this stuff that we can do, we can work with already within ourselves. Right. But it, it does require some effort. It's kind of like the David and God picture, you know, and I don't, I don't think that we can even, I don't feel like we can even blame technology or I guess privilege or affluence. You know, we, we, we've, we've had, actually we already have all the things that technology is promising us to have, which is the extra time to, you know, cultivate things. And so it's like how, how much faster or farther do things need to go right now because we already we already have a lot of the promises that technology has realized. And so again, it's, for me, I feel like a, a real reach towards balance. And I'm kidding because I, <laughs> there's, there's obviously some imbalances shaking out across the world too. Because, and that's why I feel like, yeah, back to conflict of peace, People, people who love us or people who love conflict. I'm not saying that I love the argument with my friend either, but that it, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's just kind of like another red flag, right? It's kind of another telltale sign of imbalance because harmony or disharmony in terms of energy as well has material consequences on, on nature too. And 
you know, I'm watching a nature program about what's happening in oceans or and we get really, you know, this like self-flagellation is generally considered like a, a bad thing, right? Uh, except for we've, we've, it's like now socially okay to blame ourselves for everything that's going wrong in the world. <laughs> right. and, 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 then, and then if you just simply say, well, hang on now, ease up. It's like, there's that kind of mentality of, well, you're not with us then, so we're going to turn against you. Mm. And I, I found that really con- concerning because, yeah. again, with what, how things could develop, and I'm not there yet, thankfully, but, yeah, I don't, again, I don't want things that have produced so much fruit and goodness to just be abolished and burned and torn down and read. It's like, oh my gosh, it's, it's so much energy that I feel like is perhaps better utilized by, you know, focusing on another way. And that's why I felt like your, your podcast and the things, the people that you bring into people's awareness. I mean, it sounds like a conspiracy theory to say like, it's, you know, why don't these types of things become more mainstream, right? Why, why are they always <laughs> kind of, you know, the, the, oh yeah, the other stuff over there, right? Right. And that's been one of my questions as an artist too, not necessarily just about my work, but about the artists that I do come in contact with. And I would tend to, if there was a, a lump category for them, they're, they're heart-centered artists. You know, they're, I make all kinds of work that might be confrontational or sculptural or multimedia or tech, but they all have this kind of connection that is genuine in a way. And not that the other people are disingenuous or even knowingly disingenuous, but they're, it's, that, it's just like a subtle difference in use of analytical thinking when creating that I think really does connect with people. And that's, that, that, that is, again, that's something that does something just like the forest or the city. And, um, and everybody, body, artist or not, I feel like has their own creative agency to choose. So we're aligned, obviously, <laughs> because of, you know, knowing Richard or, or other things. But it doesn't mean that the other ways are bad or wrong. It just kind of makes me wonder why. And I, I don't know if you've had people, I haven't gotten that far on everything, but if, if this is more like an undercurrent in a way, that, and that's what someone had suggested that sometimes some of the, like with genetic research, like Mendel, he wasn't really, you know, it wasn't known then. And that this kind of work is that kind of more quiet, to the ground work that nurtures in places of <laughs> distrust and unrest because that that kind of wave that is kind of rippling and shaking the planet right now may not stop for a while, right? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I wish I had the answer. Every day I wake up and I try to just avoid the news and when I look at him, it's like, oh God, things are worse than I realized. I'm like, but are they? Or, you know, like, you know, again, what's really going on right. and what can we affect? Well, and, and that is the key. I think the, the last word you just said, effect, and, and how our energy affects what we observe, right? So if we spend our mm-hmm. time 
observing the art we're creating and observing the the landscape that's beautiful that we find ourselves in whether it's city or rural or wherever you know when we find ourselves attuning our attention to those things and not the mass hysteria that might be going on or mass confusion (laughs) that might be going on instead of putting more energy to that confusion or hysteria we we help you know, ease off of that wound that's healing. And I think, you know, just like Mm -hmm. our bodies burn or, or, you know, cut and and then heal over and, and, you know, become stronger possibly afterwards. I think we as a collective planet are kind of doing that. And, and I love what you said earlier about the self-flagellation and how it's, it's like culturally accepted now like beat ourselves up about this when it's really so short sighted in the sense that, you know, we have geologists and people who are looking at, you know, really large timescales and they're saying things like, well, yeah, I mean, the earth goes through shifts like this all the time. And, you Mm -hmm. know, you don't get that kind of like sober, rational, sort of sensible (laughs) take from, from really anybody who gets a big platform because that's not what generates a reaction. And generating the reaction has become, you know, the main imperative to sell things. And, and yeah, podcasting, here we are just sort of speaking into the ether and, and people can casually find this conversation as it synchronistically hits them whenever it will. You know, it's not like mainstream news where we're like desperately hoping everybody watches it right now because it's going to be gone in 10 seconds, you know. This is this podcast. You could pause it and come back to it 10 weeks later. You could, you know, find it 10 years from now. You could, you know, listen to the whole thing. You could listen to half of it. Like it's, it's totally up to the observer. So I think that, you know, change that's going on right now in the way that we human beings interact with each other, the amount of information we can interact with. Once we start to really redefine our relationship with this new overwhelming amount of information we're going to be more constructive i think with our collective consciousness i hope you know shows like this can contribute to that and i think yeah you know your art certainly does i mean i'm really inspired by what i've seen just through your website and you know i mentioned the serpentine barons before and another mm-hmm. really important part or aspect of that landscape that we visited is the Susquehanna River, which is one of the oldest rivers on the planet. It's one of the largest rivers here in the United States, and there's something really incredible about it. And I'm curious, you know, before we wrap up here, because we got we got time when we don't have to end anytime soon, but I, I do want to get your thoughts on water and and how that inspires what you do on a daily basis and and the work that you create the art well, that, that you is create. a <laughs> that is a really excellent question which i feel like i often speak best through those are actually some of the the images that led to the shift in the larger shift in my art practice was because of studying water. So obviously water is way more complicated than it seems. <laughs> and there's all different kinds of water and then the mineralization of water. And so water, obviously we were made of, of a lot. And I have kind of always kind of conceived of, you know, atmosphere as water. So we're, you know, under the sea, 
on the land, we're still under some type of water all the time. And that's kind of my creative, I guess, artist imagination about water too. And so it's layers or levels of density, right? Molecularly speaking anyway. And, and yeah, water, it can do a lot of things because also we tell it to. It's, it, you know, there's spring sources, there's rain sources, there's, there's a lot of manipulation human beings can do with water itself. But again, making sure that we make the right choices. So I, I, I look at water, I guess, through this kind of almost like science type lens, which is funny because, of course, photography is a technical type of tool as a medium. And, you know, water's, water isn't, it's like to say water is water. Like that's one of one of the things one of my professors gave me to kind of find out a tautology or an axiom and to try to you know at least work with the truth and what is it about water that interests me so so much besides the fact that I grew up with a well and I kind of wondered how much of that water imparted some kind of knowledge or wisdom to me and it's kind of maybe a bit biblical sounding in the sense of like holy water or holy sites or you know rivers or streams and and how that works ecologically so those are kind of the technical aspects of water but there's this spiritual component to it that you know baths and spas are really common in other cultures and not as common here in the states or even in norway like a bathtub is kind of considered a luxury now Denmark as well it's like they used to have baths more often maybe because water was harder to get to so I feel like artistically I I use all those technical things but I'm really interested in water as its medium kind of as a vehicle to talk about our relationship with life itself so it's kind of in that spiritual realm that's how I relate to water and I try to put that in the work and there's a couple photographs that I made that kind of, I wouldn't say put the kibosh on making photographs entirely, but kind of brought me to this plateau artistically that I was like, I don't know if I can do anything more interesting with photography than that. Personally, artistically, other people do lots of interesting things with photography all the time. And there, there are these two, two images I can, you know, just think of because they, I, I chose to make them on Kodak Gold Film, which is, you know, the most common consumer-grade film that was out in the States. And so the color profiles kind of, I feel like, embedded in people. There's, a, there's an element of nostalgia. There's an element of closeness mm-hmm. with people. And so I, I used that film on purpose, but I spent a really long time. Well, I grew up by a river, so I've always resonated with rivers and river valleys. And, of course, so as society, it's, it's functional. But when I made these, it took about a year and a half. I think I just wanted to get to know the water. I thought, that kind of sounds like my family thinks I'm crazy. Can the water talk to me? You know, can I learn how to share its message instead of me use all these technical things that I just pointed to, right? And and it happened. And it's weird because I don't, I've tried to make it happen again, but I think I actually have to do... I have to do time with the river. It's like I have to have a sentence with that river. I have to walk in it, around it. I have to really let it become in, 
to my being, not just, you know, we look at people, we all, we look at loads of images these days. And I kept thinking, it's, it's, it's a little bit haunting. The results are a little bit haunting, but it was like, that, that to me was kind of a defining marker where a lot of the other photographs I made, they're photographs, but I wouldn't necessarily call them art. So it was back to this kind of art history and when you're creating something, can you call it art? Because there's, we're in a time that's really ripe for collage. That was what I, I was making a lot when I was growing up as well, was collage. But these images, these two images of water, they're this one you've seen on my website, and I switch around every now and then. They're really hard to, they're really, they're going to be really hard to do anything better, in my opinion, artistically, because they, I feel like the water came through the film to me. It was like a, it was a transcendental experience within myself when I made them too, because I completely synchronized with the river when it was, it was, it was bulging, it was gushing, it was spring. I actually saw it was autumn. It was not, it was like flip-flop. It was, it was autumn. And I was trying to unself. That was part of the process of making those two images too. And I thought I'd done it until someone said, oh, I can see a reflection in the water still in the bulges. I thought, okay, so the, the pursuit of trying to make selfless art turned out to be futile and impossible, but it's still something in those two images that when they happened, it really shoved me more into the magnetics of things because I think tech, technically uh, there's, you know, digital hospitals and things like that that can probably do a better job of making those images. And so you can set up the technical things to make it that crisp and that precise and that, those, that kind of imaging result. But, and that's when I realized that art isn't all aesthetic, right? And most people know that, but that's a big, that's a significant aspect of it. But that to do what I want to do with art, I actually have to work through other mediums. And, and that, so it was like a real water itself became its real pivoting point artistically and the kind of things I create. So I'm looking forward to, making this massive leap, which I've been researching for seven or eight years into fabricating actually. And so there's a, there's a huge history of it actually in Nordic art, especially female textile artists in Norway. So I'm sure I was influenced by that, by being there as well. It's almost like the water, that river itself, something to me in that process of making the image where it was like a transference that I can't undo. And so when you talk about a river, in your region, being that influential, sites like that are something that really reach out to me. It's like, I have to go there. Mm. So I don't roll dice or things like that, but I'm really directed by, yeah, what is that? And I don't, I don't think that I'll ever have the answer, but that art, because art and science are, they've been sequestered. And I, I don't really quite get why, because I actually feel like art can be one of the best mediary tools between these kind of rational science things and the public. So I do see art as this kind of answer in a way to that, like getting out of the reactive patterning. And I could never have gotten there without, you know, studying water, heavy water. And it's like, it's like this huge 20 section of my life. That, you know, I thought I was going to stick with for forever, right? 
And it actually just led to probably one of the greatest changes in in every level of my being. And I can attribute it to the river. I can attribute it to mentors and people and the film or the choices and everything like that. But it's really, yeah, I think the, the deepest thing that connects with water still with me today is that, you know, there's still something flowing through me that's like water that propelled that. So even though my body was there performing these actions to capture the images, it's, it's kind of like a question, I guess, about, yeah, origins, anthropogeny, and, and things like that, that, okay, even after all of these <laughs> traumatic experiences, even after all these kind of heady scientific things, that there is actually still this kind of fluid, whether it's consciousness or something that is, I still have contact with. And I feel like that contact, yeah, and you see art being used in churches now, churches that, because we're, we're having like crises of faith. We're having these massive cultural changes. Hmm. And uh, yeah, so that's a really long, complicated answer, but. No, I love um, it. I love the, the, <laughs> the, like detail, the level of detail and cl- like the close relationship that I'm sensing to what you're speaking about. And specifically what you said about the layers of water, I mean, that as a metaphor mm-hmm. for or an analogy for where we are as human beings in this sort of like relationship with where we dream and where we go after we die. I mean, so many people think about that and wonder about that kind of stuff. And when I think of it in terms of levels of water, it, it makes so much sense. And then also the moving water, the the minerals that are flowing through that river as they're being pulled through this landscape pulling more minerals. So yeah, it's all magnetism. It's, it's incredible. I mean, the experiences that I've had over the past few years that were in conjunction with rivers have been the most meaningful. Interesting. Yeah. And that, I I feel like it resonates with a lot of people, the rivers and the waters. And the, the other thing about the layers of density with water that it really, I had a really profound experience. Part of the reason that I, I flew back to the States this spring, of course, I wanted to see my family. And then it was to see my family before, you know, they passed. One of them's going to feasibly pass through. And I usually say pass through because that's what it feels like happens. There's, of course, the body stays behind. The earth inherits that. So the minerals do return to the earth. But she, it, my aunt Rita said something to me, and that's why I started playing around with taking up Aman, which was my Oma's maiden name before she married a man with the last name Wolf, was because she said, you know, we're all here. <laughs> it was, I mean, people have said that before, but it was the way she said it that connected also with this water that, you know, whether that being is within your personal auric field, within your electrical current. You know, we look at genetics and hard matter as the as the thing, right? But that there's there's more actually to that. And that when she said that to me, I was like, okay, that's really tied to the reason I'm alive today, actually, because that that really detailed nuance in 
discernment about psyche and spirit and, and embodiment through matter matters so much because we are at this kind of gypsy out of the bottle tipping point with how we think about life. And our, right now, everyone alive is really witnessing, we say this, you know, transformation. It's like, no, we, we don't actually just have to be passive witnesses. We can actually be involved in these conversations that are taking place. And yeah, I just want to mention Evan Kirksey, who I met with at a conference. And he's got a book about genes and things like that. You know, it's, I feel like it's really important that the public does engage with these kinds of questions and conversations instead of just the weather. It's, and they're really tough, moral, ethical things, actually. So, you know, it's a huge ask, actually, to, like, art gives, right? But it's also asking a lot from the viewer. It's really kind of begging to not just be seen, but for the person encountering work to really consider deeply these things. And in a way, it's like, well, then how does it not become a campaign or propaganda? It's like, well, it is because I feel like we, we have the potential for a kind of crisis of, of, of being in a way. And where there's, you know, a point of no return. But I don't think we're at the point of no return yet. I have complete optimism and faith that people are, are they're hungry. They're searching for these conversations, actually, online or from the great great grand, grandparents that are about to pass, it's like these are the, these are the big questions. And yeah, I think art doesn't just soothe or disrupt. It um, it it offers inquiry. It offers the, the doorway to inquiry. At least that's what I hope. Wow! Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Well said. And this has been. Really fantastic. I'd like to invite you back to expand on these ideas and more of your art because you okay. have a variety of, of skills and interests. And I think there's a lot more that we can get into. So, yeah, I'd like to schedule something within the next month if you have time and, wow. and okay. go into this further because I think people would appreciate a part two for this. Okay. Today, my schedule doesn't allow for it, but wow. Rachel, this has been fantastic. Please tell everybody where they can go to, to follow up with you if you'd like to plug your books or, or any of the work you've created. Do you have a channel on YouTube or a podcast or anything like that? Please tell us. Oh, sure. Well, my website, rachelwolf.com, R-A-C-H-E-L-W-O-L-F-E.com. There's many Rachel Wolf artists, but there's just one rachelwolf.com. And there has links to all kinds of books and photography and videos. I have a video channel. It's all linked through my website. And so is the cookie jar, which is rachelwolf.substack.com. At least that's where things are right now. But rachelwolf.com, or they can email me. My name, rachel at rachelwolf.com, and I can help point them in direction because there's a lot on the website it's some people are like oh my god this is overwhelming <laughs> it's like, okay so i can help point you to where you're trying to get as well happily and i'm also on social media a little bit but i was on it a lot of it it's <laughs> but it's all still there at, at lea wolf which they can find on my website as well right on wow well this has been really nice i appreciate you sharing your thoughts on so many different things that I've been thinking about. I want to send you a copy of 
the Synchro Mystic Exploration of the Ever-Expanding Now Edition 1, A Travel Guide wow. to Wherever You Find Yourself. That's the name of oh my gosh. the book I was describing <laughs> earlier, but I'm going to send you a copy. It's just a PDF at the moment, so I'll, I'll email you uh -huh. a link. And uh, yeah, okay. I'd love to hear your feedback because it sounds like you and I have a lot in common when it comes to what we think about and how we see the world. And and yeah, that's why I'm right. looking forward to having a part two and, okay. and expanding on this further. But until next time, thank you folks for tuning in and enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. All right, and that is our conversation with Rachel Wolf. Stay tuned. There will be a part two or a second conversation coming out soon. Uh, if you're listening to this in the future, maybe you listen to that one first. Doesn't really matter. Uh, they weren't really concurrent with one another, but I felt like after this conversation that it just wasn't enough. We needed to get into these ideas further and there was about a two-week gap in between uh, the recording of each of these conversations. But either way, it was a true pleasure to get to know Rachel. And she's very brilliant, has a lot of very interesting things to check out on her website. Go and check out her photography, her art. And uh, yeah, look forward to that episode. That's all for today's show, folks. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you've been enjoying the show lately. I hope you don't mind. We've been receiving value for value support from some sponsors. They send value our way. We return some value back their way. It's an agreeable relationship. And if you don't like it, well, guess what? Most podcast apps have a skip button for that reason. And of course, you may have listened to the show on YouTube. There are ads on the YouTube channel. But, you know, YouTube's weird. They don't. They don't like us. They don't like the episodes. They don't think they're eligible for monetization. Only some of them are. This one probably will be. We didn't get into too many controversial ideas, but in the next conversation with Mrs. Wolf, we discuss some more controversial ideas. I didn't realize that Rachel Wolf is a conspiracy theorist. She has some interesting thoughts on the climate so-called crisis. And I don't think anyone can disagree properly that pollution is not a problem. It certainly is a problem. Pollution, waste, they're not managed correctly, but the same people who are claiming that cow farts and gasoline are the problem are the major contributors to that whole issue. So there's a lot of hypocriticism, and I think the bleeding heart environmentalists might be a little short-sighted with their optimism, and Rachel certainly isn't one of those people. So look forward to that conversation coming soon this week or like i said if you're listening in the future it's already there so go tune into that next you got some really cool interviews to look forward to this week we've got steven snyder aka recluse joining us on the show for the next episode and then following that will be the part two 
with Rachel Wolf. But, of course, if you sign up on the Patreon, you can get both of those episodes right now. Go figure, right now. So, sign up for the Patreon. Show us some support. We've already got 98 patrons. We're almost at 100. And the 100th patron is going to get a free sticker on me. So, when you sign up for the Patreon... I'll let you know that you're the 100th patron, and I will ask you for your address. Also, if you leave us a five-star rating or review, and send me a screenshot, DM it to me, I will also send you a My Family Thinks I'm Crazy sticker, free of charge. Alright? That's how we do it around here. Value for value. I bought t-shirts from Want. Value for value. Okay? Henry Hablock sent me a comic book. Value for value. I'm going to be having him on the show soon. Value for value. Have I said value for value enough? Adam Curry. Value for value. All right. So, that's simple. Rockfin for all you video heads who want to see my smiling face as I interview these brilliant, beautiful guests. And, uh... Patreon too. We got the videos on Patreon slowly catching up. Kofi for all you rebels out there. If you don't want to support Patreon, but you want to get access to the show, sign up on Kofi. First person to sign up, you'll get access to a couple episodes, and then as soon as you're there, I'll upload the rest. But not going to put too much time resources into that right now. I've been putting my time resources into other cool projects like our show Esoteric America that we do. We've already got nine episodes recorded. Eight of them are are published, or nine of them are published. Eight of them? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. Either way, I do another show with Michael Wan. We just put out our 44th episode of your handbook for the apocalypse a lot of people seem to not know how to find this show makes sense it's a little confusing just type in susquehanna alchemy wherever you listen to podcasts it's the same name as michael wan's youtube channel so it's pretty simple you just go ahead and it's not just my conversations with mike there you can also find the show that mike does with ross ben Uh, they'll be doing another show hopefully soon and also some solo content with just Mike doing presentations and whatnot. If you like listening to the audio versions of those, they are there. As for me, I've been doing some interviews, some exploring. Tara and I went to a interesting place today, and I think it might make its way into an episode of Esoteric America. That's right. Even the hosts are going to present and... Uh, That's something, that's a little hint there for you of what you can look forward to for episode nine. Not myself and Tara, but another host is giving us a presentation. So a lot of cool stuff going on. Esoteric America, your handbook for the apocalypse, Synchro Wisdom Dialogue, a show that you can be a part of. I just had a really awesome message from a dude named Jesse who lives out in Hawaii, think he's in LA right now but shout out to you brother Uh, he seems like a candidate for the synchro wisdom dialogue he said hey I'd love to get some advice on how to start a podcast I've been procrastinating it for a while now and I'd like to get your advice step by step so I said hey sign up 
You can talk to me for 90 minutes and I'll give you the scoop. But it's not just that. If you want to share your story, get some life advice, or maybe some, uh, I'll point you in the right direction spiritually or philosophically in the sense of like maybe books to look into. I mean, I'm no guru. I'm not going to pretend to be anyone's guru. But it could be a fun way for us to uh, engage, you know, as host to listener. If you like that kind of thing, if you want to talk to me, get in touch. My time is valuable, so is yours. So share some value with me and you'll be on our Patreon stream. That's right, the Synchro Wisdom Dialogue is available for every Patreon supporter. And I'll put them on the Kofi store as well. Maybe even Rockfin. But either way, I've already said a lot here in the outro. Thank you so much, folks. Make sure you tune in to Wednesday Ultra tonight. This episode is coming out on a Wednesday, I believe. So, yeah, there will be a Wednesday Ultra episode coming out tonight. And uh, did I say the Rachel Wolf Part 2 would be out this week? It's, it's going to be out next Monday, I believe. So... Sign up for the Patreon and get that right now. Anyways, thank you for tuning in and enjoy the moment, immersing yourself in the moment, wherever you are in the now. Trying to stay human in a cesspool of professionals But I confess too much off of the tongue All my aunties and my uncles shield the ears of the young I be saying shit and they don't know where it's coming from In like a hundred years we went saw bomb with guns Check the facts, check the fed, check the stars Stanley Mines was murked for a water fuel cell car They each they own, you can stick with your old ways But eat the rich, you drink the motherfucking Kool-Aid And I can see the red on your lip stain White skin, blue collar, pure American made Fuck it Keep your blood so heritage And run the soul off the moon landed narrative Yeah, my girl thinks that I'm embarrassing My folks think I'm nuts but never question the parenting Stuck in bed so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots but it's all kinda hazy Come on, you in the net feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pap thinks I'm un-American and shady Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You could tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't phase me My family thinks I'm crazy Think that I'm off in the deep end One too many Netflix docs on the weekends But check the budget for our military defense Tell me we ain't scared of something not within reason Steel beams, another 1492 And 9-11 was the red, white, and blue And you be lit off the floor, riding ain't got a clue All your dreams just shit on a Rockefeller shoes Don't believe a damn thing a politician ever said Ain't one brick left to go up in the Fed They still got bricks of cocaine to make crack Oxy's killing the working class, FDA's whack Talking like this, got kids talking behind backs. Too much to unpack, so they talk smack. And I'm just trying to converse with my clan, but it ain't fan. So I'm here setting up camp. Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks I'm lazy. Connecting dots, but it's all kind of hazy. Come on, you in the net, feeling like I'm Dick Tracy. My pack thinks I'm un American and shady. Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately. Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily. You could tell me that the president's an alien, it wouldn't phase me. My family thinks I'm crazy Baby, baby, baby My family thinks
so my boss looks too lazy. And if it dies, what it's all kind of hazy. I'm on the internet, feeling like I'm Dick Tracy. My pap thinks I'm on the American, it's shady. I'm feeling unhinged lately. Encounters of the fifth kind on the table. You can tell me that the president's an atheist, it wouldn't phase me. My family thinks I'm crazy. Anything out, so you know, maybe I am.